Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Must See Matches. I am, of course, Kieran Lefort, and joining me as always, the man behind Must See Matches, the Oxfordshire Rattlesnake, Mark Buckledy. Mark, how's it going? Yeah, uh, I'm good. I mean, I, I, uh, I actually gave myself a haircut today and I was half tempted shall I actually shave the sideburns off and go for the Austin look just for the <laughs> shits and giggles Halloween <laughs> there's anyone who can pull off that look Mark it's you what stone cold <laughs> stuck in the washing machine <laughs> I'm, I think Kieran you had me at Oxfordshire rattle, rattlesnake that's just <laughs> That voice you hear is someone I've been looking forward to talking wrestling with for a very long time. Here to discuss Riho's entrance theme and his favourite AEW trios matches is JP Houlihan from Grapple. JP, how's it going? Oh, I, I'm going really well, mate. Absolute pleasure to be on here. Loved what, what you guys have been doing as well. And like, I've, I know that you've, you've had Matty on here before. So like, I'm kind of, um, I'm like thinking to myself, yeah, have you had Gareth on here as well? Hey, we've got a match uh, lined up for him and he's agreed to do it, but uh, that will be, that'll be a few weeks yet. But yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get around to Benno eventually. Oh yeah, exactly. we'll do it with, I want a complete set. <laughs> oh, exactly, and I think so. I think we're all collectibles in that way. But no, um, yeah, doing really well. Really mm. looking forward to chatting to this. Yeah, so the match we're here to do today is uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Brett the Hitman Hart from Survivor Series 1996, November 17th, 1996, Madison Square Garden, which is one detail I keep forgetting about this match. I think officially this drew more than the WrestleMania match they had, but only by like three or four hundred because of the size of the buildings. Oh, yeah, of course. Because WrestleMania was the Rosemont uh, Horizon, which yeah. is slightly <laughs> smaller. And it was like 97 WrestleMania was a was a down period for the WWF. Um, yeah. So this this officially in terms of uh, in terms of bums in seats live drew more. Um. I haven't asked you, uh, JP, something I ask every new guest. Like, when did you become a wrestling fan to start with? You've probably talked about this on Grapple, but like, mm. you know, there's, there might be like two people who listen to this and don't <laughs> listen to that. Who <laughs> don't, don't know who I am. Yeah. Um, it kind of started really, I would say, with my granddad. Mm. And he watched World of Sport. And it was, you know, as a, as a man in my mid-40s, it was something that was, it was just like easily mm. accessible and it seemed mm. very big and seemed very over the top as well. And and that was the, and it was through World of Sport. And then my fandom kind of really took off with both WCW becoming available in the UK and also like the, the kind of rise of videotapes. So like initially mm. like the WWF ones and the rest of it, and it all snowballs from there. Yeah, see, this sounds very, very familiar. I am also a man who is uh, approaching his mid-40s and my nan watched World of Sport uh, and then WCW on ITV. And uh, I, I didn't I didn't get Sky until I was like 21, 22. So mm. it was like videotapes from friends and like buying Silver Vision tapes. Yeah, it sounds like a very, very similar story. Um, with regard to this match, I presume you were kind of watching the product at the time. Oh, as, yeah. as well as you could through videotapes, I guess. Yeah. It, it, well, at, at this point in time, so when this match, you know, sort of November 1996, mm. I, was in I was in university. Mm. So it was like a bit more difficult, but I would go home and watch stuff on like my mum's sky if there was mm. any of the sort of pay-per-views and stuff like that and tape it because it was just traveling across london it was uh mm. um so i could always get away with doing that but yeah i was i was following the product even and i was excited because it was steve austin who i've been a fan of because of seeing him wcw yeah 
you know, recently we recorded like an absolute monster of a podcast of Matty's Dealer's Choice, uh, all about Steve Austin as well. And it was like bringing back USWA. So there was like, mm. you want to, you know, my fandom of Steve Austin is, it was pretty extensive at that point in time. So the idea of him getting a, like a match against Bret Hart, so I've gone into the match already. That's um, right. You know, incredibly exciting. Mm. Uh, and Mark, I'm guessing because you got into wrestling in one of the weirdest ways possible, like this is something you hadn't seen until we, until this pro- project came around. Yeah, I first saw this about nine days ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's never not funny. I'm sorry, man. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I never saw any Bret Hart matches while Bret was an active wrestler. Really? Like, wow, that's interesting. No, because, um, so I got into wrestling through WCW Worldwide in 99. Yes, the Batman version. Uh <laughs> on channel five uh and i don't remember him actually being on it he might have but i literally can't remember having watched him it would have been like the real tail end of his career so so then uh other than watching back a couple of like a couple of brett matches say the owen match i legitimately i think i've probably seen less than seven brett hart matches wow wow that's really interesting. Staple diet for me and you, Kieran, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and like I was, uh, I was mostly a WCW guy throughout my teenagers because that's what there was. But like Brett was a was a proper wrestler in the circus on the other side, so he was yes. always worth paying attention to. Um, and yeah. of course, like avid Power Slam reader, so he was all over that. Of course, um, in terms of uh, Steve Austin and Bret Hart, Mark, it's no, uh, it's no secret that the top ranked match in the must-see matches list is the WrestleMania match. Yeah. Um, so we will get round to that in about 14 months, I think. Uh, but how how much more Steve Austin and Bret Hart have we got to go? Okay, so for, for Bret, uh, this is the second Bret match of uh, six or seven that we'll be discussing because I can't remember if my notes included the Royal Rumble 92. Okay, fair uh, enough. That that would... that, is, that is a bit of a, a bit of a stat skewer when it comes to this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that... we could talk about oh, you know, this many Bret Hart matches, this many Ric Flair matches. Oh, and Repo Man's going to show up for an episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but um, so Bret has. We'll be covering at least four more matches on the podcast, mm. and Bret had twenty-one nominations, which isn't the most, but it's like top ten for the most mm. nominations. So that was quite a lot. And Austin, um, this is, of course, the first Steve Austin match that we'll cover on the podcast. We've got three more to come, Mm. two from his WCW days. Mm. So his only WWF nominations were against Brett. Interesting. So nothing from uh, 99-2000, nothing from post-pile driver Austin that we'll be covering on the podcast. Um, Mm. uh, So as I say, he had... Uh, 18 nominations. Um, this was the first WWF match chronologically that was nominated for him. So none of his earlier matches mm. in the WWF mm. uh, were deemed well nominatable. Well, so uh, at this point, Steve Austin has only been stone cold since March of 1996. Prior to that, he was the ringmaster. And mm. it's quite understandable that none of that shit got nominated. Yeah. It's, yeah. It ain't good. It's turgid stuff, the ring yeah. master. 
Because it's it, it, the thing is, in this time as well, like, you know, he's he's had the ECW run. He's developed mm. what is the genesis of, of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. He's been able to do promos. And then he comes in and they stick him with Ted DiBiase. And yeah. he's silent. And he's doing a, like, pure technician gimmick. But there's no, it's like green trunks as well, isn't it? As well, and he, you know, the mm. million-dollar champion. But it's so lacklustre. So, yeah, the idea of this being like, this is, you know, how many months into it? What, seven, eight, eight months? Seven, seven months. He, he did one King of the Ring in, was that June or July? June. Uh, which is the famous Austin 316 promo. And the legend is, like, he took off immediately after that. That is absolutely not the truth. Like, nope. It put, it put him on the map for sure. Um, but then, like, at SummerSlam, he's not on the pay-per-view. He's on the, the pre-show mm. beating Yokozuna in two minutes. Mm-hmm. Um he has to go through a feud with Savio Vega, which they do have a pretty decent strap match, as I recall. But that like, yeah, yeah, it's a, like it's a it's a long road for Steve Austin to to get to the biggest guy in the industry. It's not the meteoric rise that WWE would have you believe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 the case of they didn't go with him because they didn't they can they didn't understand him at that point in time, yeah. did they? And then some of this ties into the kind of popular culture around. That, that point in time where you have the kind of like the rise of more what I would call not so much just anti-heroes but the rise of more interesting heroes yeah. and kind of popular mm. culture Steve Austin very much kind of falls into that within the wrestling genre yeah yeah I, and I was thinking like can you imagine like Bretton and Steve seeing each other for the first time in a WWF locker room like the previous year Brett was having to fight a pirate to get his jacket back and Steve <laughs> Austin was doing 30 second jobs to Jim Duggan in WCW and like imagine their eyes locking across a crowded WWF locker room it's like it must have been like when Wayne sees Cassandra for the first time in Wayne's world and like Dreamweaver comes up and Brett's gonna be like we can definitely do something special let's get you out of that gimmick you know and it it isn't actually that far removed from he talks about this on the Stone Cold Sessions because I watched a little bit Mm -hmm. a little bit of it in preparation for this just hearing their kind of thoughts and it was the Mm. case where he was watching him work against Michaels and like on some of the house show loops and he was just like yeah he comes up to him at the end of like one of the shows like why is he in rehabilitating from his knee injury mm. uh, knee surgery and says yeah i want to work with you and at which point like austin's like oh okay this is now we're on yeah and sort of recognizes that when brett's back it, it's that problem of when they turn him at austin there's also the issue of brett not being around so we kind of mm. almost in our minds he becomes stone cold steve austin at king of the ring then he starts feuding with brett hart and yeah when the yeah. reality is brett's not there at that point yeah so uh brett took a leave of absence following the unfortunate wrestlemania iron man match with michaels that we covered uh, a, a few months ago on the show um he had uh done some overseas tours so this is also not the first Bretton Austin singles match Mm. they had four goes on a tour of Germany earlier in the year uh, and they had a match in uh, South Africa um, and Kuwait and Kuwait yes yeah the the South Africa one is on the Brett DVD set and I seem to recall that's also like a pretty good match Um, I watched the previous months of of Raw's to to get into this I tend to like watch the bill for WF pay-per-view matches it's real interesting. Um, I mean, it starts off with Sony's PlayStation featuring the hit video game Crash Bandicoot presents In Your House Buried Alive, which is a real fucking weird <laughs> sentence. <laughs> um, the entire month of TV was taped on October the 21st leading up to this match. What? Yeah. 
Yeah, so they would tour like crazy on house shows, but they would tape TV very rarely. And I was almost wondering if I should have watched Superstars instead, because most of the build doesn't seem to happen on Raw. It's very weird. So uh, the 21st is the night after Buried Alive. Um, Sid versus Owen Hart on the post-match involving David Boy Smith and Shawn Michaels takes up 14 minutes of a one-hour TV show. Um, But... What we also get is clips of Stone Cold on Livewire, which was their weird Saturday morning talk show shot inside the TV, the technical bit of the TV studio. Um, And he's ranting about Bret Hart. He claims that he, at some unspecified point in the past, whipped Bret's ass for 30 minutes in the dungeon, including having the sharpshooter on him for 10 of those. And when (laughs) Stu came down to beg him to leave his son alone, he kicked his ass too. Austin, like we said, Austin's only been stone cold from March, and he's but he's still a massive over-the-top cartoon character, and he's mad everything for no reason. It's it's very odd. There's no nuance to him at all. His character is angry. Um it's really clear that they have something special, but they don't know what to do with him and how to focus him. So this is Brett's first also Brett's first uh TV appearance since WrestleMania. Uh, he does an in-ring interview with uh, Jim Ross uh, and Vince. It, oh, this whole build's real interesting, mostly for Vince on commentary. He's constantly, desperately trying to stop people changing the channel because they don't forget they are getting destroyed by WCW at this yeah. point. Like Nitro is stomping all over Raw every Monday night, and he, as Brett is walking down the aisle, he asks twice if Brett is going to drop a bomb on the WWF and s- repeatedly says to everything, particularly should they go into break, we don't know what they're going to say, we don't know what they're going to do, you better stay tuned. Constantly. Jesus. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it, it, he's, he's really pushing the unpredictability of the World Wrestling Federation. Like That's mm-hmm. how he tries to keep you hooked throughout an hour of Raw. Um, so this is, this is Brett's return uh, after shooting Lonesome Dove, I think. Yeah, that was around this time because he he was like he was actually considering retiring and becoming an actor, um, uh, and this is two days after officially turning down the two point eight million a year from WCW the first time. Yeah, the first thing he says on the microphone is he was made a great offer by a rival wrestling organization and refused <laughs> to say anything bad about how they represented and conducted themselves. And I know now that Vince kind of signed this off, but uh, you can just imagine him steaming at the desk because this is going out live on his TV show. Mm. Oh, yeah. The the other side of professionals. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And Brett says, like, he faced a hard decision, but, like, everything he's done in wrestling, he's done in the WWF, and this is his home, and he'd much, much prefer to stay here than go anywhere else, essentially. Yeah. uh, yeah, uh, there's a close-up of a grimacing Vince as Brett says he owes all his success to the WWF fans and won't be going anywhere. And I'm like, give it a year. Um, <laughs> Literally. Yeah, you cut backstage to a bunch of guys watching this on a TV, and it's chiefly Austin, Brian Pillman, Rocky Maivia's head pops into the side of the shot. And in the background, in a ridiculous outfit with sparkles and a cowboy hat, is Salvatore Sincere. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the two sides of the WWF, like the serious wrestlers and the future stars, and then this fucking idiot gimmick. <laughs> On Grapple, Benno has so much love for the new generation of WWF, but I, I have to say, do. 
They really do. And I think there's there's the kind of things about if you were big into your WCW, it was just like, this was horrible. This was, it was the mm, circus, yeah. like you said earlier on. And Bret Hart was like the kind of, he was the guy you knew that was actually good at wrestling. Even yeah. if he didn't understand what wrestling was, he just mm. went, no, but he clearly very knows exactly what he's doing. Yes. Um, but you did, it, it was still full of like ridiculous gimmicks. It was the thing that Vince had made the connection between the style of the show and the kind of characters they were mm. and why they were having their ass kicked every mm. week. It just hasn't made that sort of like causal link there. It's it's all, it's easier for, it was always easier for him to tell himself that it was all Ted Turner and the money and everything else. Yes. And it's like, mm, your mm. booking was shite as well. Let's yeah. not forget about that. Yeah. Some people just preferred wrestling to characters. That's the way it was. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's what Nitro gave you. And I mean, we saw it, it's kind of tailing off a bit now, but we saw it with the launch yeah. of AEW as well. There were people who wanted to see good wrestlers doing wrestling mm. on a weekly basis as opposed to the fucking fiend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell. Exactly the same. Um, so uh, uh, Brett goes on and he says, he basically says he's decided to accept the challenge of the man he thinks is the best wrestler in the WWF today and, and in the Survivor Series, because Brett can never get a pay-per-view right, says he will face Stone Cold Steve Austin. You cut backstage again to Brian Pillman, who pops and starts celebrating, and Austin just withers him with a death stare. And the, the feeling I got was like he'd been shooting his mouth off about Brett, but he never expected a response like that. He didn't mm. actually want the challenge. It's it's mm. interesting. Um, so the next week uh, we get Doc Hendricks, Michael Pierce Hayes, uh, doing a satellite link up, talking about the Hall of Fame, and Austin Gate crashes it. He says, nobody cares about eight old farts getting a trophy handed to them. What, what made me laugh in this section is uh, uh, Hendrix runs down the card for Survivor Series and it's uh, Shawn Michaels versus Sid, uh, uh, Brett versus Austin, Undertaker versus Mankind, notable only for Undertaker's incredible entrance with a massive bat suit on that he comes down <laughs> from the ceiling. It's great. Oh my God. Um, I can't remember that at all. Um, the funny thing is they've got two elimination matches on the show, one of which they haven't mentioned yet. The other, they haven't told you, is four on four. So the graphic makes it look like it will be Hunter, Perfect, Lawler, Goldust, and Crush against Mark Merrow, Stalker Barry Windham, Mark Henry, Rocky Maivia, and Sable. <laughs> that, I'd, I would have liked to have seen that in fairness. That's a proper booking madness. Yeah, it, oh, the, the, they're, they're very, very odd. Um, so anyway, uh, um, Hendrix goes on. He says, we've already seen that Austin here is here live in the studio and Brett is standing by at home in Canada and Austin crashes the shot again and goes, how come he's at home in Calgary and you made me fly all the way here? Um, <laughs> he threatens both Doc and, Doc and Brett with ass kickings. And in a great bit, he also angrily shoes away a hair and makeup lady as she comes to brush his head. <laughs> <laughs> what? See what I mean? He's still a character in a cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're told that what, next why week. Why is she brushing his head? Got to, 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 to take the glare off. I mean, I wouldn't have him wrestle it. Like it's an accident <laughs> waiting to happen in that case. Have him run around outside. He's going to get sweaty, isn't he? Yeah. Um, uh, we're told that next week will be with Brian Pillman live from his home, and Austin is pissed about that too, saying if anybody's going to Pillman's house next week, it'll be him. And we get a recap of him attacking Pillman during an interview on Superstars because Brian had the gall to use Brett's best there is catchphrase to him. And that's that's the interview that has the original Pillmanizing of Pillman's ankle with the chair wrapped mm -hmm. around the ankle. Mm -hmm. And also where we get the line, if you put the letter S in front of Hitman, you get my exact opinion of Bret Hart. Um, we also on this show get the birth of DTA, which I think is it's the first time he's ever said that on camera. 
Um, and he rants about Pillman and Gorilla, uh, Gorilla Monsoon as being puppets. He says, uh, Monsoon hasn't suspended him for anything he's done because he's the puppet. And everybody knows that Vince is really the boss. This is something else that's coming out a lot at this mm. time. Uh, Austin and JR, JR talking about Vince McMahon really being the boss of the WWF, which hadn't been like public wrestling fan knowledge, if you like. Yeah. Um, to the to the, the regular audience. Um, and he says, Vince won't do anything about him because he's just a greedy promoter who won't jeopardize his biggest money match, which is Brett versus Austin. After the break, uh, we get a Brett and Austin split screen as stripper music starts playing in the <laughs> arena. <laughs> um, and we cut to Howard Finkel introducing Sonny. Uh, I, so what they would do is they would take the TV, but they wanted to do a live angle every week. So Brett and Austin are actually live, but they taped a whole show that they're cutting it into. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's for some Billy Gunn bullshit they go back to the ring for. Um, Vince asks Brett and his Nike Air Jesus sandals if the reason he was reticent to come back was because Austin had challenged him. And Brett and his very loud air conditioning respond that he was just beat up from 12 years on the road. He thinks Austin is a great wrestler. And it's basically a lot of Austin interrupting Brett every time he's asked a question and that kind of thing. Um, Austin says, win, lose, or draw, he'll always be on Brett's ass, and he is now the best there is, was, never will be. Um, Brett starts to respond. Vince cuts him off mid-sentence to go back to the back to the arena, which enrages Austin, who starts smashing monitors and throwing crew members into things. Um, Jesus. Odd. <laughs> there's this really weird um, sponsorship thing. Monday Night Raw brought to you by Foot Action. What? <laughs> Wherever there's action, there's foot action. What the fuck is foot action? Why? We've and got is, something else there, haven't we? <laughs> is Tony Atlas responsible for getting sponsors in nineteen ninety six? Yeah. Uh so the the police show up for Austin by the end of the show. Fourth of November, clips of Austin's carnage last week, and Kevin Kelly is standing by live from the home of Brian Pillman. Mark, do you know where this is going? I am aware of this. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I am. A, I have not seen this. I am aware of this. Yeah. Um, so Vince very loudly clears his throat right in the middle of the opening title, showing us it is live. Um, but the the main arena show was very clearly taped as the same sign has been in the front row for three weeks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Austin calls in, calls the commentary desk from the phone in his rental car saying he's on the way to Pillman's house. Uh, Jerry Lawler uh, tell, uh, tells him Pillman says he has a gun, foreshadowing. Uh, there's a really good Survivor Series ad that's just uh, Austin walking around a warehouse in black and white ranting about Brett. He says Brett quit because he lost to a dancing pretty boy at, press, uh, at WrestleMania. Well, Austin is no boy toy. He doesn't dance. And after he beats him at Survivor Series, Brett can quit again and go home knowing he's been beaten by a real man this time. This is the best thing in the build so far. Um, so at Brian Pillman's actual house, uh, Kevin Kelly is there, but Vince is asking the question. So I've got no idea why they sent Kevin <laughs> Kelly out there. He tells Pillman that Austin has been seen circling the neighborhood, and as a production assistant could be heard yelling that Austin is outside, Pillman racks a Glock and says, when Austin 316 meets Pillman 9mm, he's going to blast his ass straight to hell, and we go to break. Yes, this is the Pillman has a gun angle. Yeah. That has fuck all to do with bret hart it's see what i mean they drop this in the middle of the build to yeah. a serious wrestling match it's just this weird diversion for austin did austin come back to pillman later 
Well, so Brian Pillman, Jesus, uh, yeah. Brian Pillman only had less than a year to live at this point. Um, he his ankle was fucked. Um, he more or less comes back. Is it just Canadian? I mean, there would be other matches, but it was primarily it was like Canadian Stampede, wasn't it? Yeah, that seems to be the most notable kind of. Like, yeah, real I think they 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 did do a couple of like four minute, five minute matches on Raw, maybe, mm. but um, it there there wasn't much. There was no mileage left in Pillman in the ring. Like he was, mm. he was there for his character. Um, he 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 was his body was destroyed because he kept having car crashes and things like that. Yeah. Uh, he was he was a complete mess, and his his big feud at the time he died was with Gold Dust. Gold Dust, yeah. So we go back to Pillman's house where Austin is brawling on the driveway with quote Brian Pillman's friends who are suspiciously beefy and know to throw their worked forearms to the upper back. <laughs> uh, they're actually Les Thatcher trainees. Uh, Austin is wearing Pillman's ECW T-shirt. Uh, he dunks one of them in the paddling pool shaped like a frog and then clobbers the other with a wheelie bin, which had me hooting with laughter. <laughs> uh, Austin circles the house, banging on the doors as we're taken back to the building for The Sultan versus Alex the Pug Porto. Jesus. Wept. In real life, if you had live cameras at a situation mm. as hot and volatile as Steve Austin trying to break into Brian Pillman's house and beating up dudes on the driveway, why would you ever cut away from that? It, I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? But it's also, is it not in the second half? It, they try to say everything that it doesn't involve like a gun or anything else. I know you're going to be coming up to it where there's just like this weird, like, oh, right, we might be in trouble for this. There's like the realisation on live TV. Well, it's real. It, it, it's interesting. So uh, um, Austin basically smashes his way in through the kitchen door. Uh, Melanie Pillman, who's there, uh, starts screaming, and we whip pan to Pillman holding the gun and cuts a static. And my memory is that's how Raw went off the air. This is 30 minutes into the show. Um, so all the commentary at the desk is uh, talking about that angle while other stuff is going on. Um, they get they get Kerwin Silfies, uh, the director, the legit director of uh, WWE programming, uh, on the phone, <laughs> claiming to have heard a couple of explosions, but nobody's gone into or out of the house. Uh, Vince harangues him about getting the feed fixed and complains about the police not arriving yet. Um, and when the live feed returns, Pillman is being restrained by his two quote unquote friends, including one with an incredible mullet. Um. Kevin Kelly says nobody's been hurt, but he doesn't know where Austin is. And we hear, oh, my God, he's back. Uh, and Pillman's buddies rush Austin and push him out of the house as Pillman leaps up with the gun, but can't go far because of all the apparatus he's got around his leg for his recently operated on mm -hmm. ankle. And he waves the gun around and drops an F-bomb as we go off the air. This was all Bruce Pritchard and Vince Russo's idea. USA signed off on it beforehand, but didn't think it would play out like this. They're like, oh, it's just another silly wrestling angle. Oh, really? So yeah. they knew what yep. was happening. Raw almost got cancelled then and there because Pillman said fuck on live TV. Uh, and Vince was hauled into a meeting with the USA CEO where he was told that this had crossed the line and Raw needs to be more family friendly going forward. And importantly to this build, Bret Hart does not appear on this show. <laughs> November the 11th, uh, Sean and Sid versus Bulldog and Owen for the tag titles opens the show. Uh, we get a live inset with Austin who says Vince is pathetic for apologizing for last week. He's not apologizing for anything. And as soon as he's through with Bob Holly, of all people, uh, he's going to Brett's locker room and he's going to put the sharpshooter on him. 
um, there is a horrendous ad for WWF Full Metal, the theme tune album, with a child dancing around topless to Sexy Boy for Fred Blassie. How did that make it out of the pitch stage? What the fuck? We're just... Right, it's 1996, and we're supposed to just recognise who Fred Blassie is, which, honestly, could you have done in 1996? And it just looks like a creepy old man making a child dance for him. It's horrible. Mm. (laughs) Uh, We get a Brett promo video talking about he wants to wrestle Austin because he's the best in the WWF right now. Um, It's the audio with the JR interview mixed in with additional quotes about Austin being a machine and lots of footage of Brett being popular and doing wrestling. It's kind of a rebuttal piece to the Austin warehouse thing from a couple of weeks ago. There's an ad for the Superstar line where Doc is banging on about who will be the shocking mystery partner at Survivor Series. And I'm thinking, hang on a minute, for which match? If you watch Raw, there's only been one elimination match announced, and we know everybody in that. And this is where I wondered if I should have been watching Superstars, where apparently all the action actually happens. Uh, And finally, we get a full uh, Survivor Series rundown by Hendrix, which Lawler does his best to try and interrupt. Um, So... One elimination match has the debut of Rocky Maivia, who has appeared mute in one backstage segment and been involved in one brawl. But apart from that, hasn't been mentioned on Raw at all for four weeks. Uh, the second is uh, Farouk, Vader. Uh, we have Razor Ramon at home and fake Diesel Kevin Wish uh, against Yokozuna, Savio Vega. The debuting Flash Funk, again, not been mentioned for the past month. Uh, and this mysterious shadow who would turn out to be, unfortunately, Jimmy Snooker. The third elimination match is Bulldog, Owen, and the New Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Al Snow as Leaf Cassidy. Um, I'm, I always like watching Mark's face when we talk about the WWF of 19, the 1990s. Because well, I'm like, it just <laughs> it's like, flows what straight over my What head. is all this? Uh, versus the Godwins, Samu, and Little Guido. Sorry, they're just terrible photos of Doug Furness and Phil Lafon, um, who are <laughs> debuting. <laughs> they honestly look like Samu and Little Guido, uh, debuting from All Japan. And again, Furness and Lafon have never been mentioned until now, nor has this match. What's crazy, I was having a look at it. This Survivor Series show, 16 people on that Survivor Series show have a must-see match that we're covering on this podcast. Oh, interesting. Which is probably up there with like the most must-see match-studied show I think we might have covered. Yeah. But then you realize some of these people are like Snooker, Sid. uh, Another Royal Rumble 1992 participants. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jake Roberts, again. Yeah. uh, we're not going to talk a whole lot of uh, Rick Bogner, I don't think, though. Yeah. Bradshaw? Bradshaw had a musty match, JP. <laughs> Where was that? The Eddie Guerrero bloodbath. Oh, yeah, Eddie Guerrero. The Eddie Guerrero. The Eddie- oh, yeah. No, yeah. no, fair enough. No, yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll assume it's all Eddie doing, yeah. uh, doing the hard <laughs> for that one. He did a lot of the heavy lifting. I, I think it's all Eddie's... Uh, I was going to say H2O. That's not what blood is. All no. of Eddie's blood. Hemoglobin. <laughs> the the wild thing about this to me is they're doing survivor series in madison square garden and six days out they're still plugging the ticket hotline tickets are still available and this didn't sell out they were about 900 shy of a sellout and gave away about 2,000 tickets so uh steve austin versus bob holly is our main event jesus christ of raw uh brett is watching on a 14 inch crtv in the shittiest looking locker room but at least he's facing the screen um, Holly gets in much more offense than he ever would have against a post-neck injury Austin in a very boring match. Um, they plug Austin versus Vader for next week. 
Um, and after what feels like a month, Holly does a flying nothing into Austin's boot and takes the stunner for the pin. Uh, and then Austin goes to Brett's locker room, but stops as he puts his hand on the door handle and he says, you'd like me to beat him up for free, but if you want to see the match of the decade, you've got to pay on Sunday. Nice. Always doing business. Always doing business. Good line. Yeah. I'm all right with that. Yeah. So after half an hour of bollocks, um, we finally get to the match. Um, I've no idea where I pulled the file that Mark and I watched from because it appears to be the opening sponsor segment Edit, mm. MB, uh, uh, Milton Bradley Karate Fighters presents Survivor Series 1996. Um, edited onto a badly sound mixed hype package. Edited onto a dog shit versus screen, um, and then dissolve into Todd Pettengill. Todd Pettengill's earring, in fact, interviewing Steve Austin. Uh, Austin's reaction is obviously not what it would end up being, but there's still a fair bit of like pro Austin signage in the crowd, so he's starting to get momentum as a babyface. And I was reading the whole page and a half that Brett dedicated to this match in his doorstop of a book. Um, and he was like, at this point, Austin like didn't want to be cheered. He he was he thought he had tons still in him as a heel. I had no interest in being a babyface. Yeah. Uh, Todd also interviews Brett, and Brett repeats his lines about from uh, his earlier interview with Jim Ross about uh, Madison Square Garden is is holy ground uh, but he said yeah his msg is uh, is not a church but it is holy ground and he says he's not greedy for money but greedy for respect and by the end austin will respect him big pop for brett well two because we get one for his music and then he seemingly spinal taps himself on the way to the tunnel it takes him a while to get there and then he gets a second one as he comes out (laughs) i've just got two little things on this video package um first of all uh, the Hall of Fame banquet was actually held yeah. that year in the hotel that I've stayed in twice. <laughs> uh, yeah, Hall of Fame night before Survivor Series rather than night before WrestleMania. And I rec- yeah. and I recognised it from the footage of the elevator before they even mentioned the name <laughs> of the hotel. What is the hotel? Uh, the Marriott Marquis on Times Square. Uh, okay. Mm. Uh, I have fond memories because that was... One of those trips was the most egregious bit of queue jumping I've ever done in my life. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Where coming back from WrestleMania that year, uh, a few of us basically jumped about 200 people to get into a bus uh, and avoided a, at least an hour's wait. And it's like, I don't know how we didn't get beaten up doing that. <laughs> in America so, as well, you'd be fearing the yeah. worst. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's expensive to run for broadcast and too small for WrestleMania these days, but a packed Madison Square Garden always looks fantastic mm. on camera. Yeah. Like there's a particular shot they do from right at the top of the building that gets basically every seat in and it always looks amazing. It does. You're more likely to see it these days on UFC. Like UFC mm. are the ones like when they, they tend to run a show kind of like ironically in November around okay. like towards the end of the year, they, they always tend to do one sort of show there. I know the Katie Taylor fight. And and when you see the optics of it, it is special. Mm. Like rather yeah. than a lot of identical arenas that you'll see in various other parts. Yeah, of everywhere else is just like a basketball arena, isn't it? But it like is. no. It becomes like football stadiums where yeah. there's just they're, they're the same sort of um, you know, IKEA set. Yeah, like pretty, yeah. pretty much, everywhere. yeah. Yeah. Rather than having any vibrancy to them. You consider that MSG was so integral to Vince's entire fortune his entire livelihood yeah. was because it was the thing that he could always rely on he could always yeah. rely on being lucky enough to have the new york territory with a venue like msg where 
you really have to fuck up not to come close to selling it out. Well, they to this day, they still do a Boxing Day house show there, don't they? And mm. they load it up like it's a special show. And some years it draws better than others, I think. They've used the likes of some of the select dates that Rousey and Lesnar would have mm. in recent years in order to get that mm. extra kind of yeah. bump on it. Mm. Um, these days, I mean, I imagine like they'll do they'll do okay this year because they still manage to make it seem special. It's whether or not they turn it into premium live event stuff. But then yeah. I think there's always been issues around the configuration and where the tunnels are because various shows yeah. you would never have mm. like the tunnel as we would see on TV. You know, mm. they're, they're coming in from uh, the left, going across to the right. It would be like ahead of you, and it always felt really odd to me. Well, I always think Royal Rumble 2000, where it's a very memorable setup but it's not mm. really a screen setup it's not really a stage setup it's just a door through the crowd they just managed to make it yeah. look cool but it's royal rumble 2001 with the new york cab hanging over the yes. entrance yes it is. that's the cool one yeah yeah you're dead right <laughs> although coming through that you know it was good enough for me Missal was all right, was all right with it back in the day when it was just like really just coming through a door and a ton of people. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, that works. Oh yeah, we we we've talked about like the crappy backstage <laughs> areas of Budokan you see people walk out from before. <laughs> and every time I see it, it's like, how much money's Baba making off this? Yeah. Put a guard, give him a little bit of room. Yeah, because he's not spending there. anything on sets. That's why he's, <laughs> ma- he's making it hand over fist. Um, <laughs> So as Brett comes out, Jim Ross says he ain't no clown and he ain't no trash man. And I was like, hang on a minute. Doink's only been off TV for a year at this point, And Duke the Dumpster Drozzy last wrestled for the WWF in July 1996. So that's a bit rich. <laughs> I will also remind you again, this very show had fake Razor and fake Diesel on it. The sad guy and Big Daddy Fool. Um, so uh, Ross is giving this to hard sell as a serious wrestling match. He says... Uh, he can also see this coming down to a submission match. And now, while I know he meant this contest coming down to submissions, that is that ever some great accidental foreshadowing. Um, he was also saying this on TV in the run-up, which makes me think that like, Brett and Steve clued him into what they were going to mm. do. Um, incidentally, uh, according to Brett's book, the week before this, Austin flew to Calgary and they worked out the whole match in advance at Brett's place. Really? Which is really interesting when you watch it because it has, uh, apart from the big spots, it has quite a cool in the ring feel to it, I think. Mm. And yeah. I would think with these two, that's what they wanted to do. But yeah, they went through the whole thing in Canada. So uh, Austin gives it some jaw and then d- flips the double bird in Brett's face, which is blurred on my copy, which makes me wonder again where it came from. Uh, Ross tells us neither man has ever submitted, but I'm guessing that that's bullshit because like the amount of matches Steve Austin had with Sting, he must have like given up to the to the, the Scorpion yeah. Deathlock or yeah. Ric Flair. Well, Ric Flair was kind of avoiding him a bit. They only really did Hollywood Blondes versus Arn Anderson and Ric yeah. Flair like on a clash. Um, oh, really? Yeah, and they did, did a it bad a, rating. Yeah, they. I think they did it two out of three falls, and had the Horseman went over two straight falls. Yeah, not good. Um, So uh, the crowd are all for Brett during the opening wrestling exchanges. Uh, Ross claims he watched WrestleMania 10 on pay-per-view, and that's probably true as it occurs during the first time of two in 1994 that he was fired by the WWF. Yeah. Um, That was a lovely little line. Sorry. So what they're doing is they're starting like a 
a would-be aborted uh, Jim Ross heel turn because yes. he takes credit for bringing Brett back to the WWF. He's behind fake Razor and fake Diesel in one of the dumbest angles of all time. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, there's been a lot of, like, uh, he and Kevin Kelly have been presenting Raw, and then he was like, the head honcho, the big ego, is back next week, but I'm still going to be at the desk. And Kevin Kelly gets the boot, and it's Vince, Jerry Lawler, and Jim Ross at the desk, and Jim Ross is playing antagonist. Um and cut, he constantly cutting down Vince for not knowing move names. <laughs> so there's a match where Shawn Michaels does a Frankenstein and he's like, that's a hurricane runner or a what a maneuver as you call it, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> well, later yeah. on in this match, we get a fantastic what a maneuver that mm. appears to be, that's just a small package. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Super yeah. Like, yeah. Mate, <laughs> see, how many times have you seen that? Yeah. Uh, so the opening wrestling part is all Brett. Uh, and it takes an elbow, stomps, and a short arm clothesline for Austin to get on top. Uh, and it's when also, he goes as, for- Go on. Very quickly, you probably knew this. As someone who's only ever seen Austin with a knee brace, I mm. didn't know he had a Texas tattoo on his left car. <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen that thing. And I, and I was thinking, well, oh, hold on. The knee brace is probably covering it up. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. He's also got shorter boots as opposed to what he had in WCW oh, that, that as well. Might be it. And in USWA, yeah. like when he was coming through, he was wearing like kind of long, multicolored, like kind of trunks. It was a very odd combination. Yeah. Multicolored Steve Austin with long hair is a trick yeah. when you look back at it. Like, I mean, even from like 1997, anytime in the past 25 years, it's a, it is very odd seeing him looking like that. Yeah. Stunning Steve. Um, so uh, the point is that it takes uh, strikes for Austin to get on top. But mm. as soon as he goes for a hold, Brett is able to reverse him again. Mm. But this yeah. time he turns up the heat and he lays in some blows to the arm before locking it up. Austin pulls the hair to get them into a rope running spot that ends when Austin hits his old WCW finisher, the stun gun, which mm. if anybody listening doesn't know, is simply picking up your opponent and dropping them throat slash chest first on the top rope. Pre-1997 was a simpler time in American wrestling. <laughs> yeah. It was it, it. was always the thing that, because I loved that move, because that was always like the cut, you know, because mm. he would be a staple of mm. um, of WCW worldwide. Like yeah. he was always on, because he was television champion. So it was yes. like a kind yeah, of a yeah. show that was very much set mm. up for it. And then you realize, okay, why did he get rid of it? And then you just think, who would be wanting to take that? That goes wrong. That's like, you know, it, it's awful. But I found that Ross saying the stun gun yeah. on there, like, you know, I, I thought he was like, he was very much kind of doing like the recognition of him in WCW. And there's yeah. a kind of bits of him saying like, I've known him for seven years when yeah. he broke through. Mm. And- so some, something I forgot to mention when I was talking about the buildup is they, for the first time, they acknowledged that uh, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman were tag team champions some, somewhere else. As well, mm. they don't mention the somewhere else, but mm. like they mentioned, like their previous relationship and how how tight they had been. Mm. Uh, I think that's on the on the gun angle episode. So uh, Austin is now going to work on Hart's head and neck. He's stomping, elbow drops, choking like the catapult under the bottom rope. Um, Brett is battered under the same in the same spot under the ropes for a minute and a half until an elbow with a little momentum behind it knocks him off to the floor. At this point, they talk about a, an Austin Vader tough man contest the next night on Raw, which never happened. Uh, what? Austin be- yeah, Austin beats Mankind <laughs> in a no-holds-barred match instead, and Paul Foley did a seconds no-DQ match that same night against The Undertaker to be broadcast a month later. Oh, jeez. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's not hard to see why WCW was beating them. WCW was, Nitro was live every week and they were mm. like, they're taping a month in advance. It's not hard to find out what happened and then just do better stuff than that week every mm. week. Um, it's 1996, so Steve sticks on the chin lock for a couple of minutes when they come back into the ring. Yeah. Uh, he breaks out with some knee drops and a couple of pin attempts, though, so we don't get bored. Uh, Brett punches his way out, and they exchange fists to much less of a reaction than, say, six months later. <laughs> mm. yeah. um, Brett, uh, so Steve comes out on top of the fist fight, but Brett reverses a corner whip and gets a clothesline on the rebound, followed by a Manhattan drop and a really nice running clothesline with a bit of sauce on it. Mm. Um uh, he goes for he gets an, uh, a two count off an O'Connor roll and does what I called a side Russian nothing sweep because he doesn't hook the leg. Yeah, yeah. Very strange of Brett. He always he always hooks the leg. I hate the Russian leg sweep where where the, no leg is swept. That's just doing the stroke backwards. Then <laughs> yeah, normally it looks so clinical as well. Yeah, but there's something we. I mean, there's a whole thing with Austin and his selling in this match where mm. he's kind of and it's strange because so many of us like. As Mark mentioned earlier on, like Austin with the knee brace, Austin mm -hmm. working a brawler style post Owen pile driver, and here in ca in case there's a, and it's always been a thing with him up to the pile driver where his selling was kind of him flopping about, like you know, yeah, you know, sort of felt very Mister Perfect, like yeah, there was, there was very Kurt Hennig, like mm. that was always part of part of what he would do, and um, and at this stage, but it also can make for kind of unusual bedfellows when you know you're wanting him to get into place for certain things and he would be kind of slightly out but it does add a nice messy quality it, it does and we we have to think that like the wrestling of this era was much looser than it would become yeah. because uh like television wrestling was in the process of changing changing mm. from loose from from squashes and then a loose sort of call it in the ring main event to everything had to be a tight five minute match and mm. like mm. You, you're going from call it in the ring to spots you know by heart mm. and this is still has that loose like I, I, it's similar to i've done this done this analogy before it's similar to the jazz of all japan pro wrestling yeah which which is still like very loose with a with a definite finish mm. and this still has a bit of that quality to it i think um so uh Austin pushes Hart off a bulldog attempt to get us into the chest first turnbuckle bump. Uh, thankfully, an organic way of getting to that bump. Yeah. Do you know what? I love that spot so much. Yeah. Just because it is, it incorporates two Bret Hart tropes in yes. one. Yeah. Where he's got the he's got the running bulldog, and but the, like you say, just the logic of him being mm. pushed in because he's he's kind of halfway across the ring when it happens. Yeah. So kind of yeah. makes sense as mm. opposed to like an Irish whip and him not being able to kind of turn yeah. in it. Hmm. Austin, after that, is foiled on a superplex attempt, and Brett hits the pinpoint elbow from the top rather than the usual middle rope version. Mm -hmm. Going beyond Brett's rope, dangerous. Um, he's stumbling st as well, which I don't know if he's was he selling the knee, like he's selling even the the, the kind of mm. the wariness he might have about. Well, about so his they tell a well. story of him perhaps having ring rust, mm. which in yeah. Brett's book he's not happy about. He's like, oh, when I heard the commentary back, I was really annoyed that they were talking about my ring rust. He brings up the subject of ring rust during his promo with jim ross and in the build to this and the ridiculous thing is i i watched this again today mm. uh paying a lot of attention at brett and i just wanted to watch brett for mm. and i'll explain why later um and so much of brett during the match he's doing things that i've i've thought were clearly 
oh, he's really telling the story of Ring Rust. Mm. Like, he had his mouth open for so much, it was like a fish at a bloody fishmonger's. Brett always has his mouth open. He's always gasping for air throughout a match that goes longer than seven minutes. (laughs) (laughs) The blow-up doll cell. Um, So Stone Cold pokes the eyes to escape a backbreaker and then chucks Hart out to the floor, where a ringside fan very gently and caringly pokes at him with a hitman foam finger. (laughs) Uh, Austin yells at a fan giving Brett the time to rush him and try and tip them over an uncooperative section of the barrier into Mm. four suspiciously empty seats in the front row Uh, the barrier unfortunately stands its ground uh, so Brett hucks Austin over it and kind of stomps him on the floor Um, as the referee admonishes them Brett smashes Austin's face into the adjacent barrier which decides it's going to do all the work that the other one didn't do and (laughs) collapses underneath him (laughs) Uh, Austin rolls all the way through the ring uh, but Brett gives chase uh, but Austin though takes his legs out from under him and catapults him past the ring post and onto the Spanish announce table and onto the Spanish announcers yes yeah so Steve jumps on top of him and they brawl on top of Hugo Savinovich who looks like oh it's phenomenal this (laughs) well I don't think there's anybody much more comfortable at ringside to fight on top of than Hugo Savinovich (laughs) he's a big soft fella isn't he (laughs) he is and Carlos Cabrera, if we're going to be that, well, who seems to have disappeared. At he he did he, a run. He almost falls into like it, like he, you've sort of jumped onto a mattress. Yeah. He kind of just then sinks below, <laughs> yeah. doesn't he? As Brett's lying there, again, mouth open. Yes. Like kind of really gasping in the air at that point, which again on the Stone Cold Sessions, Austin's taking the piss out of him. Over, and he's just going, he's going, oh, look at you, what a sell job. And Brett's sat there with his, his kind of trademark smirk. Uh, so Brett gets slammed on the table and hit with an elbow off the apron and this table apparently was imported from Japan especially for this show as it doesn't budge an inch for any of this nope Uh, there is a sizable let's go Brett and let's go Hitman chance as Austin suplexes him back into the ring and drops elbows on him Austin does the old boss man rope stride uh, and goes from being booed to getting let's go Austin chants. And there are some hitman chants mixed in, but like Madison Square Garden is now getting behind Steve Austin. Mm. Uh, Steve does the old grab the ropes on an abdominal stretch until the ref catches him spot. Uh, The subsequent argument with the referee is all Brett needs to get to his feet. He wins a fist fight and double reverses an Irish whip to hit Austin with his own stun gun. Austin's body weight, though, falls back entirely on Hart's leg, and it takes him a long time to crawl over. And I mean, we had a we had a, a cradle a couple of weeks ago in Tanahashi versus Ibushi, Ibushi that I call pleasantly messy. This was just messy and not remotely pleasant. <laughs> I could see what he was going for, but like nobody's body was cooperating. Well, was that was that the La Messi straw? Yes, <laughs> yes. Good, great shout. Yeah. Uh, Brett though makes up for it with a top-notch pile driver mm. and at this point I'm thinking I might just make a video of all the cracking pile drivers we've seen across the course of this show this is up there with the Aja Kong ones we talked about before JP there is a, an Aja Kong versus Minami Toyota match with some of the best pile drivers you'll ever fucking see yeah. yeah I think I can get, get on board with that I mean you're right it's a lovely pile driver mm. Austin takes it well yeah. I mean it's hard not to look at a spot like that and then not think of yeah. Owen, like yes. kind of, you know, just over, you know, a few months later on down the road in there. But he has his his legs are up perfectly. It's mm. like his head mm. just perfectly grazes the mat, doesn't yeah. it? It's, it's glorious. Yes, yeah. Like, you can completely understand why the nickname was the excellence of execution. Yeah. Like, it's, it's the perfect pile driver. 
uh, Jim Ross is screaming about, how do you like the athleticism of the World Wrestling Federation? And I know that's really a shot at WCW's main event scene, but one week after this, WCW opened World War Three with Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Ultimo Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't anything on WWF at that point in time that was remotely competing with that. No, no, absolutely not. Um, so Brett gets the backbreaker he was looking for earlier, but Austin cuts him off on the top rope and hits a top rope superplex that gets no height or distance. The top rope was never the place for Steve Austin, no. <laughs> even doing this kind of thing. Uh, Austin lifts his legs to get some momentum to get up, but Brett lifts his as well and hooks them, creating the water maneuver cradle for a near fall. Yeah. Um, I generally dislike that spot because, like, the guy who's just taken a big bump, like, should mm. not have any energy to sell. But mm. I kind of liked it here. Something about it is just just makes it work. I think it's because it's Brett. There's the mm. credibility yeah. of yeah. how we can get around it. Like, you can you could always buy that with Brett. That Brett had, you know, reverse something like, in the tank. Yeah, there was always yeah. something in the tank for him to be able to do it. And it's also kind of like the way that he ends up like kind of lying as well because obviously he takes the superplex superplex mm. more on his ass than anything yes. else doesn't he yeah. um at that point and i was like well you could say that you know he's, he's got a bit more energy than usual because he hasn't take, had to take a big flat back bump yeah there. so i yeah i, I love that but then mm. always been a fan of a small package yes yes uh, so they get back to their feet and brett grabs austin from behind but austin hits him with the stunner Brett rolls from one set of ropes to another, forcing Steve to have to drag him back to the middle of the ring, which gives Brett enough time to recover and kick out to a big pop. Mm. The stunner in 1996 is not what it would become at all. Yeah, I I noticed this on the video package, and I ended up actually going to YouTube and finding a historic video package, and kind of the the early stunners very much it's it's before the era where people had springs in their knee pads. Let's put it this way. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but it, also it's it's used much more of a a desperation reversal quite a lot of the time. Right, mm. like kick to the gut stunner is not a thing yet. Yeah, it's like they haven't worked out the finer details of actually if we have this as the kind of be all end all finisher, like like you say with the with the kick to the gut and and the stunner there, where you could have the kind of big sell mm. job, but also the crowd get that kind of release as well at that point in time. You, you didn't really have it at this stage because it was still. It still felt like the million dollar dream was, yeah, was like yeah. still part of the arsenal. I remember Kieran you saying that at some point Vince changed the ring uh because he was bumping in it. Yes. Oh yeah, we're still in the rock hard WWF rings at this point. I was gonna yeah. say, is another factor of it the fact that uh as the ring got better, people were more willing to take big flying back bumps or the rocky special when it comes well, to stunners well not only big flying back bumps like steve is then dropping to his backside on a trampoline rather than a concrete slab mm. you know i imagine hulk hogan would have had a longer career if he was dropping legs in the post 1999 like wwf ring rather than that of the 80s which was did you see the picture of like the the was it a soccer pro where like Super Delphin basically had a ring made out of snow and stuck corner posts in it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus oh, Christ. this was really recently recent. in Japan. Yeah, and they did matches in a ring made of snow. 
I didn't realize it was a ring <laughs> wow. made of stone. I need to go back and look at this. Yeah. Yeah, I need to have a look at this as well. But it's not like Super Delphin's ever taking any bumps at this stage of his career. Yeah. So he probably didn't give a shit. But yeah, I, I think the change, the changing ring, you're right, probably accounted for a lot with a lot of moves. Mm. Um, so Austin is pissed off that his move has been kicked out of and he's angrily trying repeated covers and mounting punches to get something out of this move. Uh, and he eventually settles for a Texas Cloverleaf, something very like the sharpshooter, but not quite. Uh, Hart drags himself to the ropes to force the break, but Austin holds on for the full extent of the referee's count. Brett does his other big special bump off the corner whip, which is slipping under the bottom rope and wrapping his back around the post. So Brett's the- hit this corner in three different ways. It's yep. Like- yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The best I've ever seen him hit this, though, was in a, a stampede match with Dynamite Kid, where I think it's a rounds match, and between rounds, a bucket of water gets spilt in the corner, and Brett takes an Irish whip into the corner, slips on the water, slides under the, the turnbuckle, and wraps his back around the post. That's Jesus. brilliant. Here, it's just like a like a standard Irish whip, mm. and they say his knee gave way. Yeah. Um, Austin drags him all the way back to the center for a cover. And when that doesn't get a win, uh, puts on the bow and arrow. And I'm like, man, pre-neck injury, Austin was a totally different wrestler. Yeah. Even a stone. This match is probably the closest in the WWF you get to him being stunning, Steve, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. I mean, it's he's just a, a different haircut. Yeah, <laughs> it is, isn't it? It's just like he's been given, stunning Steve has just been given that different haircut and told mm. to wear all black, basically. Yeah. Uh, so Hart kicks his way out of that and grabs one of Austin's legs as, as he does so, and Madison Square Garden goes wild at the prospect mm. of a sharpshooter. Uh, Austin makes the rope, so Brett just drops on him with punches and then grabs a sleeper off an Irish whip. Austin runs him into the buckles a couple of times and hits a chin breaker to escape. And in hindsight, that's probably something he shouldn't do given what his new finisher is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. I did love the touch of Austin slapping himself awake after the yeah. sleeper. That's a lovely cell job. Yeah. Uh, so Steve then stalks Brett with his arms wide and clamps on the million dollar dream, which, as we mentioned, the finish bequeathed to the old ringmaster persona by former manager Ted DiBiase. Uh, Brett, though, pushes off the top turnbuckle with his feet and rolls backwards, forces Austin's shoulders to the mat and scores the three count. For anybody not aware, I'm aware there are many listeners younger than us listening to this. This is how Brett beat Roddy Piper at WrestleMania 8 for the Intercontinental title when Piper had the sleeper on him. And at the time, watching this match, I seem to recall, like, I was like, you've just reused a classic finish. Like, this is only four years ago. People are going to know you're just, you're exposing the work you're showing. It's the, you're reusing a finish. But today watching it, I kind of appreciate the symbolism of it is Brett is the canny veteran who'd been in this very situation before mm. and knew what to do to win. Yeah. Whereas Austin was defeated by clinging onto the last shred of his last failed gimmick and would drop that move mm. pretty much right after this. Yeah. So for me, I don't know how must see this is anymore. It feels very much of its time, but in mm-hmm. a classic movie kind of way, it felt like a very thoughtful feeling kind of match. It doesn't have any of kind of like the modern fireworks, but in terms of what was going on in the WWF of 1996, like it's right up there. Like in 1996, if you wanted actual good US wrestling matches, as we talked about, you watch WCW. Mm. There's probably only this, uh, Sean and Mankind from Mind Games, which we covered with Jamesy back on episode five, I think. Mm. And there's an Undertaker Foley match at King of the Ring, which is a wild brawl. And that was very different to Federation norm at the time. So you're like, like what, 
three good, like four star plus matches the whole year. And that was common, like in the 90s. Like you didn't mm. get that many on an episode of TV every Wednesday night. Oh, God. I do think, though, it's super solid and does a really good job of portraying a sporting contest with a bit of needle that gets out of hand. And it tells a good story. And I think if I can be a bit sort of semantically pedantic, can I go with recommended rather than must see? I'll allow it. Uh, JP, as our guest, where do you stand on this? So, I mean, for this, I'm, I kind of actually, I agree with a lot of it. I think the reason why I put it in the must-see category is because of what it leads to with WrestleMania mm. 13. I think it's, it's, mm. it's like it's a companion piece. It's, it's like almost, it sounds really strange. It feels like playing, the only analogy I've got is like a, a kind of a video game analogy where there was like a Metal Gear Solid kind of DLC type release before Metal Gear Solid 5, which is like the kind of big epic, oh, yeah. um, epic in there as well. And I think with this, it's you've got a lot of stuff that they go back to even in uh, in in the WrestleMania 13 match as mm. well where it, but it's just done with a lot more intensity and i think you know if you're wanting to see the evolution of Steve Austin and you're wanting to like because they i think the it's good that they had this match because you don't get WrestleMania 13 without it. Obviously, from a story perspective, but obviously as workers as well, yeah. where they're able to kind of go, ah, oh, right, okay, we we now know, mm. like, Hart knows exactly what Austin can and can't do and mm. has realised, ah, oh, okay, mm. there's a lot more in the tank with this guy as well. And well, Austin is so desperate, absolutely desperate to take his chance. Mm. Well, like Wrestle the WrestleMania 13 match wasn't supposed to happen. That was supposed to be mm. the Brett and Sean rematch from the previous yeah. year. And it's, you know, because, like, Sean was a petulant baby, like, everything had to Not be, like, like shuffled around. <laughs> and we ended up with the number one match on the must-see matches list. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's a reason a reason why it's on there as well. I mean, yeah. there's there's nice, I mean, I think as well, it's, it's, it's like a kind of, it's a bit of, a war, it's like an oasis in a desert, really, isn't it, for, like, yeah. 96 WWF? Because, yeah. it, again, you've, you've spoken about the reason why, you know, the He's having his ass handed to him. Financially, they're on their knees. Mm, yeah. And this just felt, and it even felt at that point in time, was like, ah, they're doing something different with someone else. Mm, and mm. Austin was fresh in a top-line mix. And after hearing him in WCW being touted for so long while he was in there, as, yep. this is going to be like the next guy coming mm. up. It's like, well, WWF managed to do that because that was never something they were willing to do. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I've gone on, on grapple for this. I've gone four point two five. That's where that that's where I've gone. Like, sort of I, grapple I still think that's reasonably fair. So, at the time, this was a four and a half in the Observer, yeah, uh, and finished seventh in match of the year. But this was a year that was full of like cracking Japanese <laughs> matches. Yeah, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, Mark, as the the first timer watching this, how did this land for you? Um, it's a match that I appreciated mm. rather than enjoyed, I think would be the best way to put it. Mm. It's, it's not that I hated it. It's like I'm, I'm watching it and it's like I can appreciate the details. I can appreciate you can see why people are so high on Bret Hart historically. You can mm. see the, the mm. level of craft he puts in, the level of detail. There's a level of thought there that you can see. Uh, it's this is someone that's clearly put the time in both 
physically and mentally in terms of thinking about what he wants to do. Uh, you can see that Austin definitely is on the rise and I really like Austin's heel work here. It's it's not overly cartoony. I know what you said about the build, but in mm. the ring, it's like he's just, he's like an Australian cricketer. He's just constantly giving you a uh, lip and constantly just <laughs> oh, talking <I> <laughs> and trying to... Uh, and trying to insult and just uh, just being basically an asshole, and, and it works quite well. And, yeah, it's like I did find the match a bit dry. I did find it a bit slow-paced. Bear, bear in mind, as I say, I, when I first got into wrestling, very quickly guys like Chris Jericho, like Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio's, those kind of things. It's like my my highlights of Dying mm. Day WCW was yeah. things like AJ Styles and the Young Dragons. And, yeah, uh, you didn't have to go through the years of squash television that we did. Um, yeah. And so, also, I, I've got to say, like, I I'm kinda, spoiled. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> 1999 <laughs> worldwide with Batman spoiled me. Yeah. Um, I've, I, I've got to kind of admit, like, my first rewatch of this, like, I also found it a bit dry and I got much more out of it on my on my notes watch, my second watch, <laughs> which I find happens sometimes because like as, as I've mentioned before, like I will watch it once as a fan and then I'll watch it again as as a as a podcaster and pause and take notes at various points. And some matches, that pausing gives you time to think about what you've just seen. And I enjoyed it much more that time around, which is why I kind of made the classic movie analogy to it, I think. Anyway, By some Mark, matches, do you mean any time you watch all Japan? Let's not. Just get on with your analysis. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was like I'm watching this and it's like I can appreciate the level of detail. I can appreciate the the strengths of the guys. I can appreciate that Austin's not what I know him to become. Mm. And something didn't click about the match. And at first I thought, is the problem Austin? Uh, because it's like, as I say... I've never really been the guy that Austin's been like the top guy for me because when mm. I came into WWF, um, The Rock was the top guy, the top face, the top mm. person that everyone yeah. was clamoring for. And when Austin come back in, he never really uh, replaced Rock in that role for me. And then you've got Kurt Angle, who's having his fantastic first three or four years. So it's kind of, I never had Austin as my guy yeah. in WWE. But I realized that wasn't the problem. The problem for me with this match was Bret Hart. Okay. And I and I'll tell you what it is. Um Kieran, you know one of my favorite things in wrestling is really fiery hot, passionate baby faces fighting from underneath. Yes. Brett had the passion of a wet fish here. It, <laughs> it's he, like, also had, he also had the mouth open cell of a wet fish, to be honest. It, it's like you're, you're a guy that is getting the crowd reactions because of who you are, not because of what you're doing. Mm. And it's like, I was watching this uh, on my third watch, and it's like, aside from some of the punching bits, which are good, and Brett does have a good punch on him, as does Austin, mm. um, but aside from that, it was like there was no real fire, no real heat, no real energy from Brett. And also what didn't mm. help, although considering every time you did see his face, it was wet fish, uh, open mouth. <laughs> what also didn't help is how rarely you actually saw Brett's face because it was like, 
I'm so used to WWF play to the hard cam, play to the mm. hard cam. Brett was not doing that at this stage. No. Of, or WWE weren't focused on it at this because stage. Because he was like he's like 16 odd years into his career and yeah, yeah. And so he was never a fiery baby face i don't think in any <laughs> respect um and he is from the pre they call them superstars but he's from the pre-superstar era he's <clears throat> a he's a wrestler so he's less interested in playing to the cameras rather than showing the whole crowd and what he's doing mm. and brett was always about being a technician and being good at being a technical wrestler than he was about being the fiery like i think if he'd have been born in memphis rather than calgary it'd be different mm. Yeah, but like yeah, he's he's the the product the product of his environment. I think very much so. I think at the end it probably comes down to me and what I prefer as a fan. Yeah, it's absolutely. Like, yeah. I love I love technical wrestling. I love details. There's there's a lot of guys that I love that are very much that style. But mm. I think when I come down to it at heart, I'm an emotional fan, and I sure. want that emotional connection and that kind of buzz of getting behind someone. It's like. Mm. And and this didn't have it, and it's like it's a really good match. But if you gave me the option of watching this or watching a random 2010 Kazuki Hashimoto Big Japan match where he's just being a passionate <laughs> prick, I'm going Kazuki Hashimoto every day. That, I, that's entirely fair. That's entirely yeah, fair. I think it, I can see why. I mean, I think there was. A, I mean, I say this is you know in in response to it as a massive Brett guy. The thing that I always liked about him was the stoicism. The fact that everyone else was so overtly characters, particularly at this point in time. Mm -hmm. and, and it was always the appeal of him. Here is the guy who's just really fucking good at wrestling. Mm. And that's what sold on it. And it was kind of, it was different. And it wasn't necessarily like kind of great for like TV per se, in terms of mm. what they wanted yeah. in terms of characterization. And it's really, it's, it's you know it sounds strange, but the heel turn is the thing where you get so much more of Brett and Brett and promos and things like that, and we kind of haven't had that at this point. Why do you think they attached the Hitman nickname to him? It wasn't like he was running around with a fucking sniper rifle. Like he needed <laughs> he needed some he was to Vince mm. I think for a lot he was a a journeyman wrestler and he he needed something to make him stand out in that land of characters which is why he ended up with that nickname that ultimately mm. meant nothing is never refer no. he doesn't refer to it in any of his promos it's never the hitman has got you in his sights or any of that kind of shit it's just a name that's attached to him that doesn't really he just goes on being stampede bret hart basically yeah. for the entirety of his career um i think mark you're very much with bret hart where i am with misawa yeah, I, I can. can he's I can a, a stoic it. man who I can appreciate what he's doing, but I don't necessarily connect with it. Yeah, you can see that, and it's, it comes down to personal tastes and preferences. Absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, I always if, think it's just again, if you ever get chance of those fans to watch, like, and going back to Austin, like Austin the technician mm. as well, like that's just such a fascinating, like, to see how his style was entirely <laughs> different at this point in time. Oh yeah. So and I grew up on like 92 TV champion Steve Austin, the Hollywood Blondes, uh, and yeah. then the US t title stuff with Ricky Steamboat. Like they had 94, they have two excellent matches uh, mm -hmm. over the US title. Um, yeah, and then it's the neck injury that changes everything. Like he is starting to become hot as hell uh, around that. It's SummerSlam 97, isn't it? Where yeah. he's like, they, they, the pile driver spot goes wrong and he's, his neck is screwed. And like from 
from there onwards, like he he can't retire and pull away from the business because like he's about to be the hottest he's ever been and would yeah. then get even hotter, but he cannot do what he used to do anymore. And that doesn't come back. Austin, the technician, doesn't come back in any way until he starts having matches with Benoit in 2001. Yeah. Because I think then he kind of wants to prove he can he can still do that style and isn't just the brawler. And he's got enough goodwill with all the people. Like, he's still the most one of the most popular things in the company. He can try that stuff and can afford to fail at it if necessary. Although, yeah. as we are well aware, Steve Austin does not alike, not enjoy self-failure in any way. I mean, what's going to be fascinating in this series is because I just realised I early when I was talking about uh, Austin's matches, I made a mistake. Mm. Uh, we see him, uh, the, the earliest match we see Austin is at War Games 92. Yeah, but that's not really technical Steve Austin in that match. Yeah. But, but what <laughs> not I'm, a lot of technical what, wrestling in War Games. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, so... We, I mean, this is probably the best we get of technician, but then we do actually get a post uh, neck injury Austin match, yeah. which is versus The Rock at WrestleMania uh, 17. Mm. It's one of these things with him where, you know, the, the true, but like he made a calculated, such a calculated risk of this might be the big run, the big chance mm. for me to earn some money. And I've got to do it. And he was like pushed back into the ring. I want to say it was eight. Oh yeah. He's back. He's back way quicker. So, so one of the things was, um, uh, Brett, Brett and Austin have only had four televised singles matches. This one, WrestleMania, uh, in your house, 14 and a, uh, a street fight on raw that goes to a no contest. Um, Austin wins the one in your house. And that's only by disqualification. He never properly beats Brett Hart on TV. Hmm. They advertise Bret Hart versus Steve Austin for one night only in in Birmingham uh, in 1997, which yeah occurred like four or five weeks after the neck injury, and Jesus. of course it didn't happen. Me and my mate bought tickets to that show based on like, oh shit, we're going to get to see the Bret versus Austin rematch. Never got it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, you, you, you're right. He he does come back way quicker than you'd expect, but. He's not wrestling. He's just brawling with people. And they need him on the TV. And I'm not sure. I can't remember when the first match back, when the first match back actually is. But yet again, anything under a year is way too fast. But he was yeah. like, th this was his time. They couldn't afford to stop the momentum. Like neither he nor the company, in fact, could afford to stop the momentum. And this is it. There's much more of an existential crisis in, in 97 as well, because you're talking about like 98 is the big business year for WCW before, it, even though you can see all the cracks and you can see mm. all the failings, you can see these things happening. But for WWF, it's still very hand to mouth. I mean, even in 97, like they, they are better with their taping, but they're still doing, you know, doing two yeah. wars at a time. For that and pre-taping kind of like fake call-ins from Austin yeah. and, and Brett and, and everyone else at that point in time. So it was just like an existential crisis that they had to go along with. And it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking here on, um, on cage match from after this match in 96. And the thing you can see with Austin as well is just how he is now part of that. Like he's part of that main mm -hmm. event scene at that point in time, which I suppose ultimately, and you think of the worthwhileness of this match, is he? Ne you need that in order to. You need this in order to get to WrestleMania yeah. 13. It's almost like I'm trying to think of like 
almost like a first film that's kind of okay, but the sequel is yeah. like brilliant. Well, that's very rare. Se- se- sequels are usually the law of diminishing returns, aren't they? Exactly, <laughs> should be. Yeah. And even the ones I come to with, I think, are really good sequels. It's like yeah. no, but it's like you know, Toy Story to Toy Story two. That was like, my it- that was my first go to as well. But it's like <laughs> Toy Story is groundbreaking, and Toy Story yeah. two is just like an excellent film in the same style. This has gone on a weird tangent. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's me. That's what I do. That's no. what I do to shows. I take it Ab- in weird tangents. Absolutely fine. Um, anything else to add before we wrap this up and take it home? Um, I would advise everyone to go along and and see this, just simply because if you you're seeing WrestleMania 13, you see this, you you know it, it's going to add something else to that watch. Yeah. So I'll, I'll always go along, and it's Brett and Steve. It's mm. Brett and Steve. So it's 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 almost like it's that Mark has done that good bit of wrestling history. Now he can tick that box. He's seen, you know, <laughs> he's, yeah. he's he's seen the big Brett and Steve matches. I'll, so he can I'll, say I'll have this. Done. I'll have Mania, and then I won't go back and see any Brett or or Steve oh, ever again. You're gonna get more heat for this than I get for not not getting into all Japan. Yeah. I'm I'm rubbing my hands <laughs> for this. You little troll. <laughs> JP, it has been an absolute blast having you here with us tonight. Um, the floor is yours to plug the many, many things that Grapple oh does and where people can find you on the internet if you want to be found. Oh, thank you. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure, guys. I've loved doing it. I love the work you guys have done. And it's it's kind of thank like you. of vital importance as well, actually, I might say about this, because there is a whole, you know, there are things that when you're covering matches, I've never seen that. And it leads you down that rabbit hole. And I think that's that's always the beauty of it. I mean, in terms of where you can find me, uh, on Twitter, JPGP3Es. Grapple. Um, we've had one last night. Um, uh, that's Spotlight. That's out on the free feed. If you do want to become a patron, patreon.com forward slash grapple, where we've got like kind of so much audio, it's kind of silly. In fact, after this, I'm off to record a daily update. So that's part of all the various things on there, which if you want to hear more Steve Austin, there's loads of Steve and there's loads of Brett. I want to mention we did a show on Brett and WCW, a whole epic with Matty Edwards of this parish as well, who mm-hmm. has, um, who, uh, you know, he did, did a show we just called Steve uh, in, in all caps as well. So it just makes me think of the monkey from, from Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. <laughs> which is an incredible film. And it even is. the sequel which isn't as good, but, you know. Still decent, still decent, yeah. That I think of Mark Commode's film review of Cloudy of a Chance of Meeples when he just said, it's like David Lynch was involved in it. You're like, you're watching <laughs> game. yeah, it is. Yeah, it was. <laughs> when you see a man in a nappy, then suddenly he's dressed up as a chicken, you're like, what am I watching? Anyway, watch Cloudy of the uh, Chance of Meeples and go to patreon.com forward slash grapple fantastic for this show you can go to linktr.ee slash must see matches for all the ways subscribe links to the full list of nominations marks writing at post and much much more every month i am on gcp with andy ogden reviewing the hellscape that is the 1999 british wrestling tv show uwa wrestling rampage uh i'm recording another one with him coming up very soon so go to at gcp podcast one or look for gcp on your podcast app of choice I pause every week when I do that because I want to say Twitter app of choice and I don't know why. The word is podcast. We are <laughs> at Musty Matches on Twitter, Instagram and Mastodon. I am at Kieran Edits and Mark is at monkey underscore buckles. Next week, WrestleMania season begins as we get into a mini series of three matches that took place on the grandest stage of them all. First up, Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair from WrestleMania 37 on April 10th, 2021. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.